You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We're glad you're here. If you'd like to learn more about our church or want to know how to get involved, visit kingscross.org. We pray that as you listen, you experience the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Good morning, King's Cross. Happy New Year. Glad that you are here. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Chip. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are brand new, welcome. Uh, It is a great time to jump in the stream of what it is that God is doing here. We're starting a brand new series this morning that I think you will find to be uh, practical and helpful, whether you are just beginning to explore faith, or maybe just coming back to church after a long season of being away, or if you have had a close walk with the Lord for decades and decades, I think um, the next six weeks are going to be really encouraging and just uh, kind of an on-the-ground practical help to you in that. Before we do that, though, I want to take a minute just to celebrate um, three things that God did last year, and He's done, you know, countless things doing a million things all the time, and we're aware of about six of them, but um, the three things in particular that God did in the life of our church in 2023. First, we had a record um, for baptisms in a year. We had 26 people last year who publicly (laughs) professed faith um, in Christ through baptism. Uh, We had our highest ever average attendance on Sundays and our highest ever single-day attendance on Christmas Eve. We had 526 people who joined us um, to celebrate the Incarnation. And you gave more money last year um, than in any other year in the history of our church by to our general tithes and offerings budget by about 40%. Um, and so <clears throat> whether you are brand new or you remember loading the trucks... Um, <laughs> Here's why I think that should be incredibly encouraging to you. Um, Jesus charged his followers to go and make disciples. And we know that we can't save people, right? Only, Only God can do that. But one of the consistent ways that the New Testament church talked about kingdom advancement and talked about lives being changed was they talked about baptisms, And at times they even recorded how many baptisms happened. And so seeing tangible public declarations of faith is a good thing. And we want to see more and more and more of those because of what it is that they symbolize. Also, um, we know that, that God can save anyone in any way that he wants to. But the normative way that people continue on or begin on a journey of faith is through participating in some form of church gathering. And that's the typical way that people's faith journey kind of starts. And so we want more people to hear the gospel. We want more of you to be growing in the gospel, to be getting connected into the community of faith that is a local church. And so seeing tangible evidence of that is a good thing. And last year, our Sunday morning average attendance was up about 42% from the year before. And so people matter to God. So people matter to us. 
in every one of those percentage points, every time there's another chair filled, that's one more person created in God's image for whom Jesus died. And we want to see more of them hearing and responding to and being shaped by the gospel. And third, um, Jesus promised to build his church. Now, he can do that wherever and however and through whomever he wants. He does not need me or you or King's Cross to build the kingdom. He, He can do that however he wants to. But the normative way that the church grows is through participatory generosity of God's people. Right? That's the typical way. So like God can feed his people by bringing manna and quail in the desert for 40 years as he leads them through the wilderness. But the normative way he feeds people is through farmers and grocery stores. Right? And so the normative way that the church grows is as God is generous to the church through the generosity of his people. And so we know that pursuing the mission that he's given us together requires us to sacrifice together. And I believe, and it's just me uh, talking, I, I believe that this will be a defining year for us in that because I'm convinced that your generosity will exceed a million dollars for the first time this year and that increased giving is going to allow us to begin to put some tangible plans on some of the God-sized dreams that we have here. And so I just want you to know what you're a part of. We see some things sometimes as staff and leadership team that maybe you're not aware of. And I just want you to to know what it is that you're a part of because God's at work. And so I just want us to stop for a moment and pray and thank God for his faithfulness in the past um, and look forward to what he's going to do this year. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you have continued to do more than we could have ever asked or imagined um, in and through the people of King's Cross. We rejoice in seeing people come to faith. We rejoice in seeing people committed to coming and hearing the word of God preached, to being involved in gospel-centered relationships and being equipped to live their lives on mission. And so we are so encouraged that you have allowed us by your grace to see the fruit of the work that we're a part of. And we we pray that that would be even more next year, not for our sake, but for your sake and for the sake of those who we, we look around us and we see people who are close to us, but far from you. Um, and we want to watch you draw them near uh, and see them grow in Christ-likeness. And so um, we pray that, that we would see more and more of that this year in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Okay, um, this is the latest a first Sunday of the year can be. Right, January 7th, that's as late uh, as it can possibly get, which means you have had plenty of time to break your New Year's resolutions already. Yes? That was okay. No, no judgment there. Resolutions are, are good things. I think we are hardwired by our Creator to have certain rhythms to life. Like, like there's just natural rhythms of work and of rest, of sleep and of waking, of planting and of harvesting. Like that's just 
um, the way that we're wired. And one of those rhythms is, generally speaking, we like to start stuff. Uh, we like to start new stuff at new times, right? And so you're about to switch a task at work, and it's four minutes till the top of the hour, and you just think, you know what? I'm just going to finish this cup of coffee, and I'll start at, at the hour or the half an hour, right? We, we prefer to start things on a Monday, or on the first of a month, and like the big one, our birthday maybe, right? And the, the big one of those is always the beginning of the new year. <laughs> and so um, undoubtedly there are some of you who are trying to establish new habits in the new year. And there are some of you who are trying to lose old habits in the new year. This series is designed to help you start or go deeper in old habits in the new year. And by old, we mean ancient, uh, tried and tested, proven habits. And I know that we're a, a culture that's obsessed with what's next, but sometimes the best way to go forward is to go back. Sometimes we go back home. We go back to where everything started. We want to go back to the way that things were. Sometimes the best way to go forward is to go back. And spiritually speaking, to go forward spiritually, not only is going back the best way to do that, it's the only way to do that. So out on the wall in the lobby, we have these reminders of how um, we believe that you can grow in the gospel and connect in community and live on mission and grow in the gospel. We talk there, if you look at that, about knowing Christ, about being involved in worship services and about spiritual habits. And it's that third one that this series is built around and what the next five weeks will be about is the spiritual habits. And so right at the outset of the series, I want to give you a promise and then I want to give you a disclaimer. Here's the promise. If you will discipline yourself to regularly practice spiritual habits this year, you will grow spiritually. That will happen. The disclaimer is, if you try to start practicing all of the spiritual habits that we're going to talk about over the next six weeks, um, at the same time, you're going to get discouraged and quit. So don't do that. Right, you, what you're going to see over the course of the next few weeks is that there are some of these maybe that are already a habit in your life. Maybe you're someone who has a regular Bible devotional plan and you, um, you read the Bible on a regular basis and you say, you know what, that's been a habit for me for years. Praise God for that. But there's probably going to be other ones where the Holy Spirit just kind of impresses on you. You know what, this is an area of growth. So my encouragement to you is don't try to do everything and get discouraged. Pick one or two to focus on for the first part of the year, maybe the first 90 days or so. And if you, you know, you don't have to wait till the end of the series. We get to next week and you feel like that's it, then focus on that one for the next 90 days or so. Okay, so this morning, what I want to do with our time is two things. I want to define for you what a spiritual habit is, and then I want to encourage you in the one you're already doing. They would define what it is and encourage you what you're already doing. So first, what is a spiritual habit? This is how I would define it. A spiritual habit is a biblical practice that promotes spiritual growth in Christians. 
Biblical practice that promotes spiritual growth in Christians. Now, if you're not a Christian yet, that doesn't mean that this service isn't for you. But your first step is to come to a place of repentance and faith in Christ. And then your faith will grow as you practice these spiritual habits. So you're kind of getting a sneak preview of what it's going to look like as your faith journey continues and you mature. But if you're already a Christian, a spiritual habit is a biblical practice that's going to promote spiritual growth in your life. I think in our lifetime, no one has been more helpful to the church on this topic than Donald Whitney. Um, His book, uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, is a classic in this area. And so what I want to do is I want to dive a little deeper into this big idea that spiritual habits are biblical practices that promote spiritual growth in Christians by uh, just adapting a little bit some of his work here and looking at five aspects of what it is that makes something a spiritual habit, Five, five Um, facets of that definition. First, spiritual habits are personal and corporate. Personal and corporate. By corporate, I don't mean business. I mean, you know, multiple people gathered together. This is a corporate gathering, right? (coughs) Scriptures teach us that there are some spiritual habits that we are supposed to practice personally. We practice them alone. So a few examples. In Matthew 6, 6, Jesus says we should pray alone. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 1 Peter 3, 15, the apostle charges individual Christians to be prepared when opportunities for evangelism arise. He says, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. That's evangelism. Psalm 57, 7, King David says, my heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. It's the singular. David's talking about personal worship. I will sing. And so we could go on, on, but you, you see the point. God makes it clear in his word that there are some spiritual practices that are intended to be personal. Likewise, there are some that we are told should be corporate. They're practiced when the people of God gather together. For example, Acts 2.42 says the early church prayed together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In 1 Corinthians 14, the apostle Paul is um, talking to the church there in Corinth, and he's giving them some parameters on what their gathered worship should look like. And he says, the reason that you need to have some bounds on this in part is because if an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. That's corporate evangelism. Right, that's the gathered people of God in worship acting in a way that helps bring someone to faith in Christ. Psalm 57, 9, just two verses after David was talking about his own private worship, he says, I'll give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. That's public worship around other people. And so you, you see the point there, they're not mutually exclusive. It isn't an either or that some are personal and then others are corporate. It's that all of them are personal and corporate. And so it just depends on where you might need to grow. If you're someone who the only time 
that you read God's word or hear it read, that you are intaking scripture, if the only time that you pray uh, or worship or fellowship or give or serve is here on Sunday morning, that's good. That's great. But you have some opportunities to grow in personal spiritual habits. Or um, if you're listening to this maybe on the podcast and you're physically able, which is a critical disclaimer here, make sure you hear that, you're physically able to attend worship regularly, but you choose not to because you think your spirituality is just between you and God, well, you have room to grow in practicing corporate spiritual habits. It takes both for you to grow, being together and practicing these things on your own. Personal habits are, or spiritual habits are personal and corporate. Second, Spiritual habits are about doing and being. Doing and being. <coughs> Spiritual habits are things you do. Or they're activities, they're actions. You are either doing them or you're not doing them. You're either praying or you're not. Fasting, uh, meditating, taking a Sabbath from your work. These are things you do. Now the goal of spiritual habits is about being. So 1 Timothy 4.7, Paul says to his protege, Timothy, train yourself for godliness. The NASB translation says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Well, godliness is about who you are. It's about being more like Christ. So think, for example, about Uh, Some of the fruits of the Spirit, peace, joy, patience, gentleness, these reflect who you are. And as you become more like Christ, you should increasingly be a person of peace. Be joyful. You should increasingly be someone who is self-controlled. So the goal of spiritual habits is not doing the habits. The goal of spiritual habits is about being godly. But the way you grow in or discipline yourself for, train yourself to be godly, is by doing the spiritual habits. You follow me? So it's both. It's doing and being. Third, spiritual habits are biblical. Biblical. Forgive me for this little nagging cough I've got. Spiritual habits are the means by which God the Father has willed God the Holy Spirit to work in you to make you more like God the Son. This is what he's doing. It's the Father willing the Spirit to work in you to make you more like the Son. So these are biblical practices. So you can't say, well, fishing is a spiritual habit for me. Because when I fish, I feel very peaceful and I admire God's beautiful creation and it causes my heart to, that's good and that's true and praise God for that. But it's not a biblical practice that promotes spiritual growth. You see the difference? Like that may be really good. Somebody in the first service came up to me right afterwards. And he said, I almost got up and had to say something about the fishing because my kayak's on my truck out front. I'm getting ready to go fishing right now. We're like, yeah, but you came here. 
right? You didn't replace a spiritual habit with fishing. Like that's going to be enhanced, right? You see, it's not a biblical practice. Our men's ministry uh, is starting to read Tony Evans' book, No More Excuses Together. And so if you're a guy and you're reading along with us, you might get up in the morning and be encouraged and feel challenged and feel stirred up and um, praise God for that. But reading Tony Evans' book isn't a biblical practice that promotes spiritual growth. Might be helpful, but reading the scriptures is a biblical passage that promotes spiritual growth. Are you tracking with me? Okay. So what God says in Psalm 1, one more example, that the man or woman who's blessed... um, their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. So, like, we don't get to say, well, reading the Bible is good for her, but I love to run. Like, praise God for running. Physical exercise is very good, and, and it, it wonderful. Praise God for that. But I would commend 1 Timothy 4, 8 to you, while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way. So the goal is godliness. So don't hear me saying those other things are bad. I'm not saying that. God has designed all kinds of common graces that are designed to make life more enjoyable for us, to delight our senses, to make us laugh, to make us healthy. Those are good things, but spiritual habits are biblical practices that promote spiritual growth. Fourth, spiritual habits are gospel-centered. Gospel-centered. <clears throat> they are designed to push you deeper into the gospel, right? To, to, to immerse you more in God's kindness to you in Christ, to, to magnify the person and work of Christ more in your heart, in your mind, so that you might become more like him. Give you an example of this. Um, Next week, we're going to consider the spiritual habit of meditation. So we just mentioned Psalm 1, on his law, they meditate day and night. When Christians use the word meditation, we mean something very different than when Buddhists use the word meditation. Buddhist meditation is designed to empty yourself, to become one with the cosmos. Christian meditation fills you. It it fills you with gospel truth, and you start to consider deeper and deeper what those truths mean in other places in the Scripture and how you might apply it. And it's just very different because it's gospel-centered. It isn't just the thing on its own. So this is true with all spiritual disciplines. So like, just because someone says, well, I'm a person of prayer, okay, prayers to whom? Offered in what way and for what purpose? It isn't just prayer, but it's gospel-centered prayer. So it says, well, um, I'm very generous. Awesome. That's great. But for what purpose? Like, towards what is your money being directed? And more importantly, what's the motivation of your heart for that? That's, That's what... God's after, right? Is it a, there's this gospel-driven motivation in you to see the kingdom advance, or you're primarily just trying to do the math your accountant told you you needed to check out? This is a, a motivation issue. Fasting, yes and amen, but the question with 
Fasting is what's taking the place of food or whatever it is that you're fasting from. You know, like, like what, it, what are you being driven towards when you're not eating? What, what are you, you know, the craving that you have for whatever you gave up, what is it being redirected towards? That's the purpose of fasting. All right, so intermittent fasting to accelerate weight loss is not a spiritual habit. Might be good, might be healthy, and you might combine it with some spiritual intentional things, right? You might say, well, I'm going to do this, and then in that time, I'm going to have some Bible study and prayer. Okay, praise God for that. But the point is that <clears throat> spiritual habits are gospel-centered. And so that means we have to consider both the motivation for doing them and what practicing them is helping us to become. All right, so, so why and, and, and for what purpose are we practicing these things? Because spiritual habits promote spiritual growth, and there is no spiritual growth apart from the gospel. There had to be gospel-centered. Fifth, spiritual habits are means, not the end. They're means, not the end. Earlier I said it, they're about being and doing. So I already defined what I meant by that. But what I'm after more specifically here is to hammer home the idea that it is possible to practice the means and miss the end. Right? Like you can do and do and do and do and do and never be. You can drift into thinking that the means are the end. That's what the Pharisees did in the New Testament. Go read Matthew 23. It is an absolutely brutal and honest takedown of the scribes and Pharisees by Jesus. Let me give you just a couple examples and listen to how they're, they are doing the means of spiritual habits, but to the wrong end. Verse 15 of that chapter, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. That's evangelism and missions. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you are. Wrong end. Verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe mint and dill and cumin. They're very concerned to make sure they got the math right. So they keep a little Excel spreadsheet and they're going to tithe this exact percentage and it's going to be pre-tax and it's all our income. We even have this little subcategory things we sell on Facebook Marketplace. We're absolutely sure everything tallies out. We're going to tithe our 10%. Okay. But they neglected, he says, you neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, by which he means themselves. He's using a metaphor there, right? So they're, they're very concerned about their outward appearance. They never cuss in public. They, they don't have any tattoos. They're very, they curate their Facebook page, make sure it only shows the other people in Jerusalem exactly the way that they're supposed to be living. They only drink if they're out of state on vacation. They don't run into any church members, right? The outside of the cup's clean. But inside, you are full of greed and self-indulgence. He goes off like that for 36 verses. 
no one practiced the means more than the scribes and the Pharisees. They're literally professional religious practitioners of spiritual habits. And everything that they practiced so diligently was designed by God the Father to prepare them for the coming of God the Son, the Alpha and the Omega, the telos, the end, the purpose, the goal of all things. And when he came, they missed him. If you and I aren't careful, we can miss him too. Spiritual habits are the means, not the end. The end is Jesus. Right? The end is an abiding relationship with God the Father through your faith in God the Son by the work of the Holy Spirit in you. This is the end. So spiritual habits are the means, not the end. With an asterisk on the end. You see that? It's because there's one exception. The exception to that is worship. Worship is the exception. Because worship is both a means and an end. Whether you're talking about personal or corporate practicing of it, worship is both the means and the end. So worship ascribes worth, worthiness to God. It acknowledges God for who he is, the Holy One of Israel, the covenant-making God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the Word made flesh, the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, whose steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting, he who has established his throne in the heavens and whose kingdom rules over all. We rightly acknowledge him for who he is in worship. And worship realigns our hearts towards him, stirs up our affections for him, recenters our mind on him. And so in worship, you are both training yourself for godliness and actively participating in the natural outcome of it. It's both. So here's the encouragement to you. You're already doing that right now. Right? It's week one, and you can check off week one. Like that's be encouraged, right? Like you're already here. Being gathered here with the body of Christ that is King's Cross or at another, you know, maybe you're visiting and you have another church home. Gathering with a, a gospel preaching local church is an absolutely essential spiritual habit. That's how come on the wall we break it out. We say worship services, spiritual habits, because it's so important we don't want it to get lost in the larger category. And I know... Romans 12 says that we're to be living sacrifices so that all of life is worship. I know that. I understand that. And I understand that, because we just talked about this, you can worship personally on your own, and that's absolutely true. But if you, and I can say this because I am one, if you set aside the theology nerd semantics, you're like, well, worship, you know, worship is supposed to be, I, I know that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. But I will say this. I have never 
in my entire life ever met a sincere, gospel-believing, Jesus-loving, scripture-treasuring, healthy, growing, born-again Christian who was not committed to the weekly worship gathering of a local church. Ever. They have seasons in life. I'm not talking about that. But, but, but I just mean the, the habit week in and week out. And if nothing else, failing to regularly attend, and I'll, I'll define that a little bit, but failing to regularly attend the weekly gathered worship services of a local church that rightly preaches the gospel and rightly administers the ordinances, if nothing else, failing to do that is sin. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. That's a command. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, if you show me a healthy, growing Christian who is physically able to attend a gospel-preaching local church in their area, but chooses not to, then I will show you a Christian who has become comfortable in their disobedience to the clear commands of Scripture. And that is neither healthy nor growing. Now, in fairness, I don't think most people who don't attend church regularly are consciously considered. Like, maybe, um, maybe you're somebody who comes to church once a month. I don't think that you're actively considering Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 and choosing to be disobedient to it the other three weeks of the month. I mean, nobody does that. Like the, the, the problem is not active, conscious, willful disobedience. It's just a lack of intentionality. That's all. Attending worship hasn't become a habit for those people yet. And so, okay, no problem. There's no condemnation there. We just need to get on track and start forming a spiritual habit that's going to lead to spiritual growth. It's been designed by God and revealed to us in his word. No problem. Let's just get on track now and make the gathered worship service a habit the way that God intends it to be. If you think back about the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, gathered worship always required a sacrifice. So if you, if, go read the book of Leviticus, right? For thousands of years, if you were going to join the people of God in the gathered worship of God, you had to bring a sacrifice to God. And there's at least five major categories of them, right? You have burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, and trespass offerings. So if you're going to come and gather with God's people in God's presence, you had to bring a sacrifice to him. But we don't live in the Old Testament. We live on this side of the cross. And so on this side of the cross, that's different for us. Because on this side of the cross, God has already come to us. When Jesus died in your place for your sin, Hebrews 10, 12 says he had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin. So now Hebrews 13, 15, just four verses later, through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. So you and I don't have to come with pigeons and bulls and goats and grains and incense. and like 
Jesus has already done everything that was necessary for your salvation. God doesn't demand any more sacrifices in order for you to be able to come and worship him rightly. We just kind of take that for granted. But Christ became the sacrifice that was acceptable to God through which people might boldly approach God the Father in worship. So now we offer sacrifices of praise. But let's be honest, like worship, the the core principle of worship being sacrificial hasn't passed away. It's just the means of it. So if you count travel time and prep time, maybe you attend one, serve one, you're sacrificing what? Somewhere between two and four hours to worship on Sunday morning. That's a sacrifice. And you're saying God is worth more than my time. I don't need to hoard it. If you give to the church, you're sacrificing financial opportunity costs because there's other things that you could be doing with that money, but you're choosing to sacrifice it for the sake of God's church and his kingdom. When you serve, you sacrifice comfort, right, in in all different kinds of ways. If you, um, you know, our services are increasingly full. When you come in and you sit forward and in towards the middle, I mean, it's small, but that's a sacrifice you're making on your seating preference so that others who come in can more easily find a seat, right? As we, you know, some of you all come up to me, hey, if, we, if you need somebody to move to the lobby, uh, let me know. Just tap me on the shoulder. I'm happy to, to go out there when we have overflow. These are sacrifices. So worship still involves sacrifice. And so I know sometimes the temptation can be to say, God, it just takes so much time. I just don't feel like getting up. Just be glad you don't have to go out to the back 40 and get a bull and come butcher it. (laughs) Read Leviticus and tell me if four hours of your time's harder. It's not. You worship because God is worthy of worship. And because as you worship, you're shaped by your worship. Come, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day of Christ's return drawing near. That's worship as a spiritual habit. So how do we do that? What would it look like if worship was a spiritual habit for you that promoted spiritual growth for you in 2024? Three quick hitters and we'll be done. Number one. Show up. Again, you're already doing that, right? So feel good. Here's the way we talk about it in starting point. If you're in town and not sick, you should be here. Like if you're in town and you're able to be here, you should be here. Now, life happens. I know that. It's a home, not a prison. I'm not talking about that. I'm not here 52 Sundays a year. So don't don't hear me being legalistic about it. Life happens. But life doesn't happen three Sundays out of four. Right? Like your Saturday night doesn't blow up and ruin your Sunday morning two weeks out of every three. That's just not happening. You just haven't made worship a spiritual habit. So show up. Number two, sing. Sing. Worship is participatory in the scriptures. It's participatory. We are commanded by our creator to sing, to make a joyful noise to the Lord, to sing a new song, to sing praises to our king. The scriptures model and promote 
clapping and bowing and raising holy hands in worship. Worship is not a spectator sport. Okay, but again, we don't just do those things for the sake of doing them. The reality is, and I know this, that sometimes you're here, but you're not here. Right? For some of you, it is a spiritual habit. You just grew up doing this thing, and this is just what you do, but the reality is that sometimes you're here and your heart's disengaged. So what do you do then? Because you remember Malachi 1.10, right? God says, would that there were one of you that would shut the doors lest you offer sacrifices on my altar in vain. And God says to Israel, oh, you're only about the means now. You've completely lost the heart of worship. I wish you'd just stop coming to church. Literally, God said that to them. So, so what do we do there? Because we know that God's after our heart. And this is where worship as a spiritual habit can help you. So I would say, pray before you come to church. Or get here 90 seconds early. We put a countdown clock up and sit down and take a deep breath and pray and ask. Josh modeled that for us great earlier. Just pray and ask for God's help. And then make worship a habit by committing to it. Because your favorite show, you know, there's an episode in the middle of season five that was a dud. You didn't quit watching it, right? You just kept on binging it, right? You have a, a couple of weeks at work that are particularly hard. You didn't quit. You pushed your way through it. So sometimes you're going to show up and the sermon's, you know, like sometimes you're going to show up and the music's just, you're not going to feel it that day. But you don't disengage from church because it's a habit, right? I love to cook, um, love to cook. Last night, um, Emory's going to go back to college. So last night we grilled out a porterhouse steak and some bread um, just with butter and then we spread blue cheese on it. I don't even bother with a side on it. Just meat and bread and blue cheese the way God intended, right? <laughs> Somewhere in the scripture. I love that. But sometimes I'm really tired and I don't want to cook. But I don't not eat. <laughs> Eating's a habit, right? So, it, like, make worship a habit. And third, trust the Lord. So pray, make it a habit, and then trust God with the outcome of that. One more. Show up, sing, and three, serve. Serve. <clears throat> Psalm 8410 says, there's a, a psalm by the sons of Korah who served in the temple. So for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. They literally say, I would rather serve on the first impressions team than be anywhere else. I would rather be here serving on the parking team than be out at brunch. I just want to be in the house of God with the people of God. And if the only thing I do is prop open the door, I rejoice that I'm there. We talk about generosity of time, talent, and treasure. Right? When you show up on Sundays, that's a sacrifice of time. Right? When you sing and serve, that's a sacrifice of talent to one degree or another. Right? When you give, that's a sacrifice of treasure. On Sunday morning, all three of those are happening at the same time in worship. You know, the other, spiritual other spiritual habits are commended to us in the scripture. We're supposed to hear from God through his word. We're supposed to pray back to God with our words. We're supposed to fellowship with the people of God. On Sunday mornings in worship, all three of those spiritual habits happen. So it's the most efficient way for you to begin practicing some of these things. It's more that we could say about worship. We will leave it there. Here's my 
closing challenge to you. I would challenge you to commit to or recommit to this one weekly spiritual habit and lay the foundation for your spiritual growth or your continued spiritual growth in 2024. Let's pray. Father, we worship you because you have revealed yourself to us. You have shown us that you are the only God, that you are worthy of sacrifices of praise. We rejoice that in your sovereign wisdom and because of your great love, you sent your son to be a single sacrifice for all, for all time. And we now can come in response to what's been done and ask that you would make us more like him. Would you help us to be a church and a people that worship passionately? That we see people around us who are close to us but far from you and we invite them to come worship with us. That as we do these things, we might become more like your son in whose name we pray, amen. My name's Josh. I'm the associate pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's message automatically. We invite you to join us as we grow in the gospel, connect in community, and live on mission. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.